Thank you, Nathan. I appreciate that. So I, I uh, also wanted to just echo what Nick said and just a very much uh, so grateful and appreciative of this church body and this family. Every Sunday feels like pastor's appreciation to us, so we're, we're just grateful. Before we get going in the message, I got a question for you. What, what do you see over here? Shoe boxes. But uh, to all those little kids that are going to get them, what do they see? They see love, right? Someone cared about them enough to give them this gift. It's love. But what do you think God sees? I think God sees seeds. Every single one of these shoebox is a seed of the gospel being planted not just in that child's life, but in that entire family that that will be brought back to. So we want to take just a, a moment and pray over these gifts. We have no idea what part of the world they're going to end up, whose hands they'll be in, but whosever hands they end up in, it's a seed of the gospel that's being planted. Father God, we're so grateful for this uh, organization of Samaritan's Purse who came up with this idea to allow us, sitting in hot springs, to plant seeds of the gospel all around the world. God, we pray that each one of these gifts would be guided by your hand to just the right child. And right now, God, we're praying for that child's heart, for his brothers, for his sisters, for his mom, dad, that you would be working in hearts to prepare them for the gospel that they will receive. That this would be much more than some toys, some necessary items, some play things, but would be a life-changing, in fact, eternity-changing event for them. So God, we pray that your word would go out with power. And as it goes out, we hold to the promise that your word will not return to you void, but you will do what you have planned and purposed for it to accomplish. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So have you ever uh, thought about uh, what motivates you, right? I mean, a lot of times it changes, right, just depending on the situation. Sometimes uh, just a little bit of chocolate is all I need to motivate me, right? A little promise of this. Uh, well, you know, maybe, maybe other times it would be the promise of an opportunity to get off my feet and just relax. You know, if I can get this done... I can, I can do that. That, that motivates me. Uh, or maybe, maybe it's a paycheck that motivates you. Uh, or maybe you have a specific goal, uh, something you want to achieve or accomplish in this life. And, and, and reaching that goal is what kind of keeps moving you forward. But aside from those kind of individual, you know, little specific uh, circumstance type of motivations, have you ever thought about or identified one overall motivation that drives your life. Grab your Bibles, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Follow along as uh, I read verses 11 <clears throat> through 15 out loud. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 11, says this, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men... 
But we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your conscience. We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, so that though they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So, have you ever noticed how um, there's some verses in the Bible that just seem weird? I don't know if that's ever, you know, dawned on you before. You know, since I was raised in a Christian home, raised going to church, I have a fair amount of basic Bible knowledge, even as a child or or as a youth. And um, I uh, began learning more as I grew up. Just to be real honest with you, I didn't really take seriously my own personal Bible reading time and and study until I got into college and... and, uh, when you start doing that, when you, when you really start paying more uh, closer attention, some of these verses stand out to you like this. And you realize there's been verses I've never read before, or if I have read them, I've just glossed over them so quick, I really didn't think about what they mean. And even if I did stop and think about it occasionally, sometimes they're just weird. And, 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 and I don't get exactly what they're saying. And, and that's what verse 13 was for me. Uh, for one of my college classes... I, uh, I had to read through the entire Bible in seven months. Well, I didn't have to. But if you, if you wanted to get an A in the class, you had to do it. You couldn't get an A apart from that. And so you know, I was always the type of person who responded well to a challenge. And I'd been thinking I should read through the whole Bible sometime anyway. So I decided to take that on. And, and since it was for a class, you couldn't just buzz right through the Bible. You know, you had to make notes and observations, a few things like that as you're going on. And that is when verse 13 here first stood out to me. And, and I know I'd probably read it sometime before in my life, but I, I, I just didn't uh, remember it or think about it. Maybe my pastor had even, you know, preached on Second Corinthians. If he did, I obviously wasn't paying close enough attention because I didn't remember it or have any idea about it. I just remember at that time, in my, this, this was my first, uh, second year in college, going through uh, this uh, reading and hitting verse 13 and going, wait, what? Uh, I looked at the verse and it didn't make any sense to me. And it says this, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it's for you. Well, you know, even without any study tools or commentaries to help me, which I didn't have any of that kind of stuff back then, I was pretty sure that that phrase beside ourselves meant crazy, right? Out of your, out of your mind, nutso. And, and, and that you know, interpretation seemed to be confirmed since it's juxtaposed with the phrase being of sound mind, right, in the next phrase. And so I wasn't sure how being a lunatic was something you would do for God. I mean, that's, that's what the verse was saying there. And then being of sound mind was something you'd do for other people. I just, I didn't get it at a time. It just seemed weird to me. So now here we are uh, many years later, and with the benefit of some study aids, I can, with confidence, confirm to you that Paul was, in fact, talking about being crazy. Uh, the word literally means 
to stand outside of yourself and was usually translated with something like lost your senses. Uh, so what exactly is Paul talking about when, when he's saying you're, you, you, we're crazy for God's benefit? And this is where us kind of understanding the overall context really helps. Because you remember, uh, as we established at the very beginning, Paul in this letter was defending himself uh, against some accusations and, and attacks that some false teachers who had infiltrated the church in Corinth were making against him. And, and these t- teachers, you know, they were saying uh, some things about Paul and... and um, and he was hoping that the truth would come out uh, about them. Uh, the previous two verses, I think, make it clear that this is one of those sections where Paul is specifically addressing an accusation that has been made against him. Look at verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your conscience. Okay? So to be made manifest means uh, to be exposed, to be opened up, to be laid bare, to, to have everybody know everything about you. The reality of who you are, the reality of your life and your heart is clearly seen by everyone. And so Paul is saying, you know, we're made manifest to God. Obviously, God knows our hearts. He knows everything about us. He knows what's real. But we're hoping that we're made manifest to you as well, that in your conscience, in your mind, that who we are, you would really see that. That's, that's what he's saying there. And, and uh, the false teachers in, in Corinth, they were saying one thing about Paul. He wanted them to know, hey, this is what's true. And that verse, you know, it talks about persuading men. And, and sometimes people read over that real quick and they think, oh, he's talking about, you know, trying to persuade people to believe in Jesus Christ. But in the context of that verse, I mean, Paul does talk about that elsewhere. But here in this context, he's, he's trying to persuade people about his character, who he is. Uh, and, the, and the therefore, in this verse, you know, relates it to the previous verses about, which we looked at last week, standing before the judgment seat of Christ for an evaluation of your life. And, and since Paul knows his life is going to be evaluated, he's saying, man, I want to live in such a way that I honor God in everything I'm doing and that people can see that. And he uses that word fear and, and the fear of God. This is a good thing, right? It's not talking about some abject, quivering terror before God. It's talking about an awe-inspired respect and reverence. A, a, a reverence that leads us and guides us to want to please God in, in all that we're doing. And he's hoping that that attitude is evident in his life to these Christians to these Corinthians. And, and that's why he goes on then in verse 12 to say, we're not again commending ourselves to you, it's, uh, but we're giving you an occasion to be proud of us so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in the heart. So in other words, he's, he's saying, you know, I'm not trying to blow my own horn here. I'm not trying to build myself up. I, I just want you guys to see what's true here, to remind you of what's real in me, so that you will have a reason and a good response to those who are trying to say something negative or false. And of course, he takes a little jab at those false teachers uh, as he's doing that by calling them people who, who are more concerned about the outward appearance how you present yourself, how you look to people as opposed to what's really going on in the heart. And then that brings us up to verse 13. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. And if we are sound mind, it's for you. 
So see, apparently these false teachers had been calling Paul crazy for his teachings. And you know what? That's not really far-fetched to believe, is it? Because isn't that what's happening in our culture, in our world right now today? There are those who say it's crazy to believe what the Bible teaches. I mean, you, you, you can't really believe all those miracles in the Bible, can you? I mean, like, oh, come on, Jonah being swallowed by some sea creature and living for three days in his well, or, you know, a man, Jesus, walking on water. You, you can't really believe that stuff, can you? And more and more in our society, people are discarding the moral teachings of the Bible and saying anyone who would hold to those things, I mean, they, they must be out of their mind. Sex only for marriage? Come on. That, that's old-fashioned. That, that, that's not really the way it is. Or, 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 you know, two people, if they love each other, well, why, why can't they get married? What, what difference does it make what gender they are? If you believe that they can't, well, you're, you're bigoted, you're, you're phobic, you're nuts if you believe that kind of stuff. That, that's what the world is trying to say. See, it might be relatively new in our culture right now, but it's not a new thing, right? People who have stood for the, the teachings, stood firm on the teachings of the Scriptures and the Bible, people have called them crazy down through the ages. Now this, I want you to understand, is not to discount that you know, uh, there have been some very bad, some very seriously crazy things said and done in the name of Christianity. I'm not talking about, uh, about that right, right now. I'm talking about those who simply believe the Bible is true and try to live their lives accordingly. And, and there are those in the world and, and those who are kind of promoting a false Christianity or a false religion that would call us crazy for holding to these teachings. But Paul said... He's willing to be crazy for God. In other words, in order to stay true to God and His Word, He'll be thought of as nutso by everyone else. That doesn't bother Him. What about, what about you? Are you willing to stand? Even if people say, oh, you're out of your mind. And the flip side of that verse is, is that we're actually a very sane thing. We're of sound mind when we teach others the truths of God's Word. It's for their sake that we would hold to these things and, and, and do that. But my question is, what, what would motivate a person to be able to take that kind of abuse from others, to be called crazy by the world around them, especially when that abuse is coming from society at large, because there's a whole lot of them, right? And only one of you or only a few of us. And it's no fun to be looked down upon, to be made fun of, to have people think that you've lost your senses because, you know, you're following the teachings of this ancient book. It, it would take a fairly strong motivation to overcome that kind of opposition, wouldn't it? And that's exactly what Paul says he has and we have. Verse 14, For the love of Christ controls us, 
having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. See, there's only one thing that's powerful enough to motivate us to withstand the toughest barrage of living uh, in this messy world, right? Uh, And that's love. And Paul says it was the love of Christ that controlled him. That word could be translated as control, compelled, constraints. It's a word that was used to describe something that applies pressure and therefore creates action. And, and you know, there are a lot of ways that we can feel pressured in in this life uh, to, to act. Some of them good and some of them bad, right? Perhaps you've experienced guilt manipulation that's pressured you into doing something that you don't really want to do, but you end up doing it because you feel guilty. Somebody's pressing you on you to make you feel guilty if you don't do it. Or maybe you've been pressured simply by a sense of duty, right? Uh, Again, it's not that you really want to do it, but you just feel like you got to do it. I have to do this. It's my duty. Or, Or maybe you feel influenced by Peer pressure, right? Everybody else is doing it, so then I guess I better get in line and, and go along with that. Or, or maybe you feel pressured because of something internal in you, like a desire to really be recognized by other people. I want people to come up and pat me on the back and tell me what a great guy I am. And so this, this pressure motivates you to act in, in such a way. All of those things and, and others can, can press us can, can move us to action. But none of them have the power of love. Because, you see, love can make you want to do something, not have to do it because you're feeling pressured. For the sake of love, people have been willing to give up everything and anything, right? On December 11th, 1936, the king of England abdicated his throne, Edward VIII, so that he could marry an American woman the love of his life, right? He he gave up power, prestige, wealth, the respect of many people, all for love. But, But not only will people give up things for love, they'll do things that they wouldn't normally do. A woman... Who hates the outdoors might go hunting with her man for love, right? A man whose idea of good music is a banjo and a fiddle might go to the symphony or the opera for love. We do things for love we wouldn't normally do. Love is an incredibly powerful motivator men and women will try anything they'll risk everything even lay down their life for love won't they love can motivate us when nothing else would succeed because the power of love is unparalleled and the fact that jesus loved him controlled it motivated it it propelled paul's life and the point is it can be and should be the same for us because we know christ's love i I know we call it a children's sunday school song but man it is it is a powerful dominant biblical truth jesus loves me this i know how how do you know 
How do you know that Jesus loves you? Well, verse 14 tells us, having concluded this, that one died for all. Jesus died for you. And you know, I I know we talk about that frequently, but please don't let the familiarity of that truth rob you of its impact. Jesus, the Son of God, the self-sufficient one, the one who needs nothing and had everything, left the perfection and glory of heaven to come down to earth, to suffer, to be mistreated, and eventually to die for you. In your place, he died because he loves you. And you know, Satan, he knows how potent of a a motivator love is, and therefore he's going to do everything in his power to get you to doubt that fact of that love, right? He'll want you to focus on circumstances because circumstances aren't always good, are they? Right? Bad, bad things happen. And and, and so, uh, since we live in this broken world with broken people, we can pretty much count on the fact that some messiness is going to come into our life, including times of heartbreaking, life-altering type of messes. And when they come, the first thing Satan's going to do is jump up and whisper in your ear, well, I guess God must not love you, huh? If he loved you, he wouldn't let this horrible thing happen to you. And I would think that the Bible would encourage us to ask the question, horrible like what? Horrible like like being betrayed by one of your closest companions? Like being falsely accused and then falsely condemned? Or or, or being beaten with fists while you're standing there blindfolded? Or stripped down naked and whipped until chunks of flesh are being ripped off your back and you're left raw, bloody, and mutilated? Horrible? Like being nailed to a cross and left to die an agonizingly slow death? Or having the sins of the entire world placed upon you, causing you to pay the penalty for them, even though you are completely innocent? Horrible like that? You see, Jesus, He suffered all of that willingly because... He loves you. Romans 5, 8 puts it this way, but God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You, you want to know that Jesus loves you? He did that for you. You know, if, if Satan has ever been pressing on you, trying to get you to doubt the, the love of God, the love that Jesus would have for you, Think about these things. Think about what Jesus did for you and the fact that he did it for love. And and if you ever find yourself maybe doubting that or just struggling to remember that, I would encourage you, read Romans chapter 8 because pretty much the whole chapter is really a focus on the fact that God loves you. We saw that in Romans 5.8 already. Look at Romans uh, 5.8, 8.35. Who will separate us 
from the love of Christ will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? That's the question we all have deep down in our hearts, right? What would keep Jesus from loving me? What circumstances uh, uh, in my life, what power on earth could separate me from that love of Christ? And the answer, of course, is given a couple verses later, verses 38 and 39, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principality, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What, what a wonderful truth to grasp hold of and to live by. I mean, it changes our perspective uh, on everything we might face or endure in this world. And it motivates us. Look at verse 15. And he died for all so that, here's why, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. I want to live for the one who loved me so much, he died for me. It's not an obligation. It's not a sense of duty that I have for following Jesus. He loved me that much. He died for me. I want to live for him. I, mean, I think obedience of Christ can, can come from some of those other things, but it doesn't naturally flow out of a sense of duty or obligation. It flows out of a heart of gratitude when we realize how much Jesus loves us and has done for us. I don't want to hurt or, or disappoint or let down that person that loved me that much. And you know, we, we experience that on a lesser degree in our earthly relationships, right? Parent to child, spouse to spouse, maybe really good friends. And, and, and in those relationships, uh, love moves us to, to speak and to act in such a way that would be good for and, and, and pleasing to the one that we love. But even in the best uh, of those relationships, they, they fall far short of the perfection of love that Jesus Christ has for you. And on the human level, well, that love sometimes fails because we're broken, sinful people between one another. But the love of Jesus Christ will never fail you. And that's why we can confidently say, I'm going to live for Him. That, that's my motive in life. Jesus loves me. Now at this time, we're, we're going to share in communion together. And this is a ceremony that Jesus instituted with His followers. So if you're here this morning and, and, and you're a follower of Jesus because you put your faith in Him and you've been, had your sins forgiven and you're welcome to join in with us. If for any reason you would want to pass by, you can do that as well. But Jesus instituted this ceremony for one main purpose. He said, we do these things in remembrance of Me. He wants you to remember what He did, what He went through, what He endured but not just the act of it. He wants you to remember why. He did it 
because he loves you and wants that relationship with you.